by anything that's happened to us. Surprise is not in his vocabulary coming to him. The surprise is when he reaches out unto us and he surprises us because his blessings are great. So pastor's coming right now and let him bless your heart. Oh, Pastor Zach is coming. Four, is that enough? That's plenty. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, good morning. Uh, this my dad asked me to preach uh, midweek this week, so I was I was excited about that. I uh, <clears throat> recently I, I love watching documentaries. Anybody else a documentary buff? I I just I eat it up all the time, especially if it has to deal with some kind of weird, obscure, like cultish religion. <laughs> I I love it. I love researching all that stuff. When I was taking classes for ministry school. Um, one of the classes I was probably most excited for was the Colton uh, World Religions class, just because I'm just enthralled with the way that different people believe certain things. And so um, I was, Danielle and I were watching uh, this past week, we watched this, this one documentary on HBO Max um, about <coughs> this one ministry that, uh, that started off to where it had some pretty, pretty decent things that they were doing. They were, they were focusing on weight loss. It was called uh, Way Down Ministries. I don't know if you guys ever heard about um, Gwen Chamblin. Anybody ever heard of that that person, that name? Maybe back in the day. Um, and so she she really the 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 antithesis of what she would do is she would just preach portion control. That was really the main the main message that she had. It was just portion control. And uh, and so we're going through that. There's many different churches all across the America and across um, different countries that were actually using some of her materials. And uh, oh, in Florida, we actually use that in Florida. Um, I knew I'd, I'd rec- recognize it for some reason. Okay, yeah. And so, uh, so it was great. It was a good program. I mean, really focused on it. if you're hungry, then you eat. If when you're satisfied, you stop. And if you're not snacking in between and just eating just for the sake of eating, you just portion control, you know, typical. So it was, it was fairly successful for a lot of people. Um, but then she started to create other curriculum outside of weight loss programming, um, ended up denying the Trinity. Um, she started denying other uh, pillars of the, of the faith and uh, created her own church. Started it over in, uh, in uh, uh, Brentwood, Tennessee, which is a very ritzy area, and uh, had quite a few people coming through. And then as time progressed, uh, the belief system started getting a little more wonky. There was a lot more control, a lot more harsh, authoritative um, uh, figures. You could not, if you were on stage, you could not be over a certain amount of weight per your body size. Um, it, it was just, it started getting really crazy, like the stuff that they were doing. And, uh, and then it, it got to the very, very tail end. If you're familiar with anything with, uh, that's happened recently, about a year or so ago, um, they were in a plane, Gwen Chamblin, her, uh, her new husband and, uh, some of the leaders in the church and, uh, the plane went down, crashed and everyone in the plane was killed. Um, and there was an expression that came from that, uh, that really stuck out to me. One of the uh, one of the other ladies who had her pilot's license, she was talking about the process that a pilot goes through when they're flying a plane, and uh, and there's an expression that happens for someone who's new to flying. Um, it could be very unnerving uh, when you're doing something called flying blind. Anybody ever heard that expression before? Flying blind. So flying blind, it actually comes from a, uh, a hy- it's a hyperbolic expression, hyperbolic, excuse me, hyperbolic expression that dates from World War II. Then when it was used by pilots who could not see the horizon and therefore had to rely on the instruments in the aircraft. And uh, this is what, what happens a lot of times. There's cer- certain levels of pilot license that you can have. One of them is open air. 
That's like kind of the, the beginning, the first level of pilot license that you would get. And in open air, that means that you can see very clearly. It's a very clear day. There's no real clouds in the sky. You can fly without having to have any kind of ob uh, obstruction in front of your face. Now, the next level that goes up a lot of times with jets, because jets fly a lot higher as well, um, is that these jets end up going into cloud space. And in this cloud space, you end up flying in the midst of all these clouds to where you really can't see um, what's what. And they said in this documentary that as, as you enter this level of piloting, um, you can end up getting vertigo as, as a pilot to where you think that you're actually turning left, but in reality, instead of turning left, you're turning right. There's also other times where you think that you're right side up, but you could be sideways or upside down. And so it, it could be very, very odd if you're just going off of what you can see in front of you. And, uh, and what you feel, it's not the reality of what's actually happening to the aircraft. And what they believe could have happened to this aircraft is that um, he had just, the, the pilot, Gwen Chamberlain's new husband, he had just got his pilot's, uh, uh, updated his pilot's license, and he was flying a jet for the first time and got up into, uh, into obscured sight, and the plane ended up nosediving right into a lake. Uh, they didn't see any, any other kind of things that could have happened to the plane, so that's one theory that he ended up catching vertigo, was unaware of what was going on, um, kind of got disoriented, wasn't very responsive to the flight controller, and ended up nosediving, and everybody in there um, was killed in the, in the process of that. And so today, what I want to talk about, I want to talk about flying blind and this process that we have within our faith um, that ends up coming from this expression of flying blind. Because a lot of times when we, when we use this expression, it means that we have actually no direction, and we're, we're going this kind of like if you if you're bought something from Ikea, and you feel like there's no instructions, and that's what, you're like, oh gosh, I'm just flying blind, I'm just kind of feeling it out, whatever's going on is going on there. But in this original expression, it just means that you have to rely on the instruments. Because when you're in there, there's, I mean, it, it, you can see even in the picture, if you want to go back to the first slide, uh, Dennis, for me. You can see in the picture, um, there's, that's just a little bitty portion of the different controls that you have. The, the whole entire front dash of an aircraft has quite a bit of gauges and knobs and dials and all kinds of things to help the pilot realize where he's at, where he needs to go, and, uh, and make sure that he's in the, in the place that he needs to. And then to be able to communicate with, uh, with, with the correct people so that they can get where they need to go. And so in our life, we, we have lots of opportunities and lots of um, times where we actually go through flying blind. It's not that we don't have direction. It's not that we don't have access to be able to do what we need to. But our vision seems to be obscured. And even the way that we feel could be a little off-kiltered. You may feel like you're trying to go left, but it seems like everything else is going the opposite direction. You may feel like you're right side up, but in reality you're upside down and you're headed to a really, <laughs> really odd spot. And so there's, there's a few things that can really benefit us as Christians if we take the, uh, the approach of kind of like being a pilot um, in a cockpit. And so the first scripture I want to go through is, is in Psalm 119. I love Psalm 119. I, I've preached from this, uh, this chapter quite a bit of times, but there's so many verses in here. It's the largest, uh, uh, largest chapter in the entire Bible. And so I, I've still not yet to hit all the verses in here. So it's great. <laughs> um, so Psalm 119, 105 says this. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. This is great. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path a light on my path. A lot of times whenever, uh, whenever they would use lamps in, uh, in ancient Near East times, in the way that they're, they're talking about that your word is a lamp for my feet, there would be a specific type of, um, of, of lit 
uh, lit area that they would have close by their foot while they were walking so they'd actually see down low. Because if you have a, a little lantern, some of those lanterns, when you just have a little, like a, a little candle on there, because of course they didn't have huge flashlights or floodlights they could rock, walk around with in those times. So they would have to have a specific kind of lamp. And in this lamp, it would actually be very close to their feet as they traveled. And this would give them the ability to see what was in front of them so they don't walk off into something that's really odd or something that they shouldn't have or there was some kind of snake or something like that that came through. They would be aware of it. Uh, if there was a big rock in the way, they didn't hit it and fall over or something like that. Uh, they needed to be able to see the pathway in which they were walking. And so he said that your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. So it's not that you yourself has to be illuminated. It's the direction that you're going has to be illuminated. And so his word, he's saying right here that the word of, of God, the, the, the law, is going to be something that lights the path. It's going to be something that leads and directs and guides so that you can actually see. And a lot of times, it's not that you have a GPS. I, I'm so thankful for GPSs nowadays. I mean, it's, it's incredible. You can just type in. They give you like four or five different options. This could be faster. Hey, there's going to be construction here. Or there's going to be some stuff on this side. It's great. It's wonderful. For, but back in those days, they did not have GPS. They had, uh, they had the ability to read the sky, to read the stars, what was going on, to see the sun, the direction the sun was coming. Um, and they had things like that. So they had to be able to navigate and know where they were going and how they can get to that spot. So in order for them to go in the direction, it's your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. Here's the deal. There's going to be a lot of times in our lives, and many of you guys can all attest to this, to where you don't feel like you've had complete and total and very clear direction. Anybody ever feel that? Yes. Everybody, I feel like everybody in here could be like, yep, I can totally agree to that. But here's what's amazing, is that the word of God is something that lights the path so that you can see better. But it's not just the lighting of the path that you need. You need the discernment of the Holy Spirit to also navigate through those areas as you're going. And something that's very helpful is if you have the tools and the, and the means to be able to navigate through as the path is lit right? You can have a pilot's license and be flying in the air, but just because you know how to fly a plane doesn't mean you can get to the place that you can get if you don't use the training and you don't use the intuitive nature that you've gotten from the multiple hours of practice and having someone who can be there at the beginning to help guide you through the process if you get a little shook up or anything like that. And that's what continual communion with the Holy Spirit does for us. You see, there's a lot of times in our, in our lives where, where I've seen people, they get in really tough spots and that's the first time that they open up the word. They're like, cool, this is going to be the time I'm going to get the correct direction. This is exactly what I need. And then right, right when they get out of that pickle, they fall off again, and they just kind of start living life again. Okay, cool, I used my lifeline. That was awesome. Now I'm just going to go back to doing whatever it was that I was doing, and it'll all be good now. And then all of a sudden, life starts going to trash again. They're like, oh, my gosh, this is crazy. I need to open up my Bible again and go back to God. And that's great. Yes, we need to be repentant. We need to come back to the Lord. But there's a process that, that seems to be pretty insane, right? The definition of insanity is to do the same thing over and over, expecting different results, and the result remains the same because you continually do that. So we end up in this cyclical process where we're continually doing things and finding ourselves in a pickle, then going, oh, okay, now I need to open up the word. I need to really pray. I need to do this. Okay, now I'm good. I can just go back to doing whatever it was I was doing before. And that doesn't help you out. That's like walking, walking with, with a lit path and then putting out the light until you hit your toe and go, oh my gosh, my toe hurts now. I need to turn on the light and then look at it again. Uh, that's not the way to go through, through our life with, 
relationship with Christ. So really what we need to do is we need to go through the practice of reading the word, of studying, of, of praying, of getting, getting intimate with the Lord. And then in those process, when we do come to a place that ends up being in a little pickle, we're prepared because we have the word inside of us. We have that training that the Holy Spirit's been able to provide us as we've been going through process where things are not as, as, uh, as, as contentious. And so this is something that we see that's very helpful. So yes, your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. And then Psalm 119, verses 113 through 114 says this, I hate the double-minded people, or I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. You are my refuge and my shield. I've put my hope in your word. And this is the, this is the important piece here is that a lot of times we feel like we have to be the pilot. When in reality, we're a co-pilot. See, if we allow the Holy Spirit to be in the cockpit with us, to have control of the, of the reins, to be able to do what he needs to in our lives, to direct us in the place that we need to, then as we continue on through our process of, of life, then we can always have the guidance of the Holy Spirit with us. We're not supposed to put him back in coach, and then whenever we feel like we need him, we start calling him up and be like, hey, by the way, I think I need you. But you can enjoy the, the ability to have him right there with you at every step of the way. Uh, it's, it's sometimes you can get, some people feel like it's really silly, but you can just ask him questions throughout the entire day with every single, every single thing that you do. Just getting a, in, a, in a habit, in a, uh, yeah, just getting a habit of, of really remembering that he's right there with you. As we do that, you're going to start to realize that there's more to the Holy Spirit than just showing up at church and listening to someone deliver a prophetic word or getting a good feeling while worship is going on, or maybe learning a little something during a ministry school class. That there's actually much more to the Holy Spirit than that. That actually before we had this church, and we, before we had a ministry school, before we had a stage, before we had music that was playing, before we had all these other things, in reality, people were still having a good time with the Holy Spirit. There's many accounts of this all throughout the Bible. You can see people who walked around on the dirt constantly. They were, they were carpenters, they were uh, farmers, they were fishermen. They did all these different types of things. They were housewives, you know, whatever it was. And they didn't have any of these types of trainings, per se, like we do right now. They don't have the technology that we did. And they still got along fine with listening to the Holy Spirit and moving whenever he said to move. So it's not that we need these things in order to have a great relationship with the Lord, but this is a great way that we can come and learn and be challenged. But this cannot be the end-all, be-all to all of our faith. So further on in the chapter, Psalm 119, verse 169 through 176, it says this. It says, let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. May my supplication come before you. Deliver me accordingly to your promise. May my lips overflow with praise, for you teach me your decrees. May my tongue sing of your word, for all your commands are righteous. May your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, Lord, and your law gives me delight. Let me live that I may praise you, and may your laws sustain me. I have strayed like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I have not forgotten your commands. So this is, this is really, really interesting. In the, in the previous section that we, that we read, he said that I hate the double-minded. This is the psalmist speaking. 
um, says he hates the double-minded. It's, it's so easy. And a lot of times the psalmist is, is very much so talking about himself. As you can tell throughout the end, if you read the entire passage here, um, he's talking about himself. Lord, use me, speak to me, um, uh, grow me, uh, let me realize these things, notice your servant and these things that's going on. And so when he says, I hate, I hate the double-minded, he's also talking about himself. That he hates when he himself is double-minded. And I don't know about you guys, but there, there have been times where it's, it's very easy to be double-minded. It's very easy to, to be drawn by the way that you feel instead of be drawn by the way that the word actually lays out. And the entire, the entire passage here, this entire chapter, as I've, I've mentioned before, this is all about going back and, and deep-seating the word into your heart. Being led and guided by the Holy Spirit, being led and guided by the laws of the Lord and obeying his commands. And something that's very important is that it's very hard to do that when you're double-minded. And this is something that, that, that really coincides with, uh, with flying blind, is that whenever you're so led by your feelings, and your feelings and your habits have not been uh, corrected by righteous living, then it's very, very easy to fall back into old habits. It's very, very easy to fall back into old behaviors because it's a habit. It's something that you feel like you should be doing because you're used to doing that. It's second nature. It's, it's very easy for someone who's training um, in, a, in an athletic sport to go through and to just do something very naturally that to someone who's not training in that would seem like an impossible feat. You could do the same thing with someone who's very, uh, very uh, used to a specific computer program at a, at, at a job. When you first go in and you're getting trained by somebody, it seems like every stroke of the key, every move of the mouse, they're just flying through this stuff, and you're like, I have no idea what's going on right now. But it's because they're very used to it. It's second nature. They've, they've been involved with that. They're, they're intimate with the program in a way to where they can navigate around it very easily. They know exactly where they want to go, exactly what they need to get, and exactly where they need to go in order to get that thing. And so to someone who's not familiar with that, it's, it's way out there. Something that's very basic to them is something that's very foreign to us. But in order to, to, be, uh, to be able to move into that same type of, uh, of effectiveness, you have to be able to have practice, and you have to go through uh, lots of different steps, and you have to just get used to it. You have to jump into it. And there's a lot of Christians, there's a lot of us at times, to where whenever it comes down to actually living a life of, of, of righteousness, it's very hard. Because we're not practicing righteousness. We're only trying to practice righteousness when all of a sudden we feel conviction after maybe a message. Or maybe you feel conviction after you notice somebody around you is doing something. But we're not very intuitive in listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit sometimes. It's very, it's very easy to sit and to, to listen to someone who's very intimate with the Lord, stand up and give a prophetic word, and be like, wow, that was great. I felt that. Amen. Praise the Lord. But we leave, we leave a lot of times listening to the Holy Spirit, that job, to people who are prophetic. Or who we deem who are prophets. Just saying that. Instead of saying that we are all prophetic. Paul says, I desire that all prophesy. Moses said, I desire all, all these men prophesy. That everybody does. And so if that's the case, then we, we also need to, to start disciplining ourselves so we don't have to stand up on a stage. We don't have to get in front of the congregation and deliver a huge prophetic word or, you know, start calling people out one by one and telling them things that the Lord is saying. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying to be prophetic is to hear the voice of the Lord. To hear the voice of the Lord is to know what his voice sounds like. To know what his voice sounds like, we have to read the word. That's how we base all the things that he's going to be speaking to us off of what needs to happen. So, so in order for us to, to correctly fly blind, 
so that whenever things don't seem to be going the way that they need to go, whenever things start to get a little cloudy, when it looks a little muddy, when it looks like someone could be off kilter, it's actually a lot easier to navigate those, um, those waters because we've had the word, we've had the instruction, we have the instrumentation, we have the gifts of the Spirit, right? The gifts of the Spirit manifest itself when the Holy Spirit de- deems it necessary for us to use it. So whenever someone needs a word from the Lord and you're around them, it's very easy to deliver that because I don't have to conjure up the Holy Spirit. He's going to be speaking to your heart in the first place to that person. He's going to put something on your heart that's going to give you compassion for that person in order to be, be able to relay that word. It's very simple. It's very easy. But we, we complicate it, thinking that it has to be some grandiose, thus saith the Lord thing. Whenever someone's sick and needing, needing help or they're, they're hurting, it's very easy to just go and we just pray for them. Just have faith enough to go up and pray for them and let the Lord do what he needs to. And then praise the Lord that you got the opportunity to love someone enough to show them that you were compassionate and wanted to, to offer some prayer for them. You don't have to be the biggest healing evangelist in order to pray for somebody. Whenever you're talking to somebody and you're just expressing the good things that the Lord is doing in your life, you can actually be evangelistic. You don't have to be labeled as an evangelist to go out and do all these things. We have the instrumentation. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the things that we need because the Lord has provided to us in the word. But we... we don't need to overcomplicate things by thinking that we need to see it the most clearly, that the skies need to split, there needs to be a ray of sunlight come over that person, and then all of a sudden, a huge scroll comes down from heaven, and you open it up, and you read this prophetic word over somebody. That's not the way it works. That's not how we need to do these things. A lot of times, it's flying blind, but it's a lot easier to fly blind whenever you know how to use the instrumentation. When you have the Holy Spirit, and you're actually a co-pilot with the Holy Spirit, then the pressure's not all, all on you, to actually do something. It's actually very easy because if you have a relationship with the Lord, then he, he loves and he has compassion for people who are broken, wounded, and hurting. Those who are around, who, who don't know him. He desires for people to know him. And so the greatest thing that we could do is just be a, uh, have our lives on display for what the Holy Spirit's doing inside of us, and then we love other people in the process, and they get to experience and know God. And the more that we do this, the more he's going to speak to us, the more he speaks to us, the more you'll actually see people become impacted by your life instead of you just walking by them every single day without sharing a word with them at all. And this is something that I love at the very end that he, that he ends this, this section with. And he, he says in verse 176, I've gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek out your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. There have been many times in our lives, there will be times in our lives, where we feel like we've gone astray. It, that doesn't mean that you've completely walked away from the faith. It could mean that you just missed the mark, right? Sinning, I think sometimes we put too much pressure on the word sin. Sin comes from the old middle, uh, medieval term from archery that really just means that whenever you pull, you draw back the, o, the, the, the arrow, the o, when you draw back the arrow and you let go, you just missed the mark. That mark right there that was set that you were shooting for, you missed it. Oh, I have sinned. I missed that mark. That's what the word sin comes from. And so when we think of it that way, as we're, as we're shooting towards the target, as we're trying to live a righteous life, there are going to be some times where we do miss the mark. Now, the best, the best thing that we can do is to go pick up that arrow and to get back and to try again. That, that's the best way that you practice, getting better. You don't practice archery and think the first time you're going hit to the, hit the bullseye, and that's it. You are now Robin Hood, and you can hit the target every single time. That's, that's not the case, okay? We're not fighting against Prince John or anything like that. You, this, is a, this is something that you're just practicing to get better as you're hitting the mark. 
And when we miss the mark, a lot of times we put ourselves into so much strife and turmoil that we tend to put the bow and arrow down, we put all the rest of our arrows down, and we just walk away. And we're like, I'll never shoot again. Never again will I do this. In reality, this is, this is something that, that, that David puts out. He says, look, I have strayed like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I have not forgotten your commands. We don't forget how to, how, to, how to shoot that bow and arrow if we've been practicing. The best thing that we need to do is pick it back up and say, Lord, I'm going to try this again. I'm going to go and do it again. If you, if you harm somebody, you apologize. Just own it. We can't be too prideful to apologize to people that we've harmed. If it's something that, that we need to make amends for, then we make amends. We go and do those things. Uh, pride will get in the way of so much if we think that we can fly and just fly based on feelings without any practice. Because sooner or later, you'll end up getting into a predicament where you're flying through, cr- through clouds and you won't be able to see. And then you can end up crashing. Now, here's the deal, is that whenever we start to hold on to pride and we're flying blind, but we're not relying on those instrumentation, we're not relying on the Holy Spirit, then if you have people... In, in the plane with you that you're flying, if there's people you're responsible for, there's collateral damage that happens depending on how severe of a case that you end up having. Now, in the case of, of Gwen Shamblin and, and, uh, and, and that whole crew, he flew that plane. He was very inexperienced, and he flew that thing right into the lake, going as fast as they needed to be going in order for as soon as the impact happened, they were all dead. That's, that's severe collateral damage that happens. Those people didn't have anything to do with flying that plane. They were sitting in the, in the plane. But it was the actions of that man that happened that caused all of them to lose their lives. There can be things that end up happening if we choose to hold on to pride that do harm people substantially. There's always grace, though. There's always grace. That's the thing that's wonderful is that there's always grace that's available. There's always the ability to have redemption. There's always the ability to be, to be redeemed from the things that we've done and the mistakes that we've made. Because God's grace is sufficient. His mercy is new every morning. The things that we end up running to is, is sometimes we end up holding on, to, um, holding on to pride to where we don't make amends sooner than later. And that's where, that's where things can end up getting, getting a little more distraught. Now, now for the people that we, that we could hurt in the process of, of living our lives, some people are not going to be as receptive to our apologies because of the degree of hurt that we've caused them. That's where we pray for them. There's only so many words that we could say at times that could, that could help or hurt a situation. Out of the sincerity of your heart, when you apologize, fantastic, wonderful, praise the Lord. And then just pray for them. Pray that they're, that they're met with somebody else who is a representative of the gospel of Jesus Christ and that they could also um, tenderize their heart and they could speak to them in, in times where you could not also relay that message to them. And that's very beneficial, is to go to the Lord and to, and to intercede for these people. If we truly care about, about redemption, then we intercede for these people. If we truly care about, about what God is going to do through us, then we also need to be compassionate about that. There's remorse that comes from these things. I have strayed like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I have not forgotten your commands. The greatest two commandments, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. I would want, I would want redemption. So if someone came to me because they hurt my feelings, I need to also be willing to offer them redemption as well. So we need to not just accept God's grace, but we also need to give God's grace to other people as well.
going flying blind in, in, in the times of our life because it seems like it's more often than not. As we get more and more uh, matured in the faith, you're going to start to notice that there's going to be more, more opportunity for you to fly blind because it seems like you're elevating a little bit more. You're able to go a little bit faster, a little bit further. You're, you're, you're a lot more used to the, the climate. You're a lot more used to the control. You're a lot more used to what's been going on, and so you have more opportunity to elevate into specific, uh, specific areas of your life. And because of that, it seems like there could be more uncertainty. It seems like it's, it's going to have to be a little bit more of, I really need to listen to the Holy Spirit, and, and then I'm going to trust that what, what decision I make right here is going to be the right one. And then, as some people say, you can fall forward if you need to. Um, and in falling forward, you get back up, you keep going. Get back up, you keep going. And so this is a this is a, a, a relatively short message, but I really wanted to reiterate this this thought process of of your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And in one thirteen, I hate the double minded, but I love your law. Hate double mindedness. That's something that that we need to do more of is is to hate the double minded nature that we end up having sometimes. Uh, Paul says that, that there's a war between the flesh and the spirit. Therefore, walk in the spirit, and you won't fulfill the desires of the flesh, because the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary one to another, so that you would not do the things that you did. And you go further on, the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such, there's no law. There's no, against those things, when, when, the, when the fruit actually comes, and fruit doesn't come just as a gift, that's, they're not the gifts of the Spirit. That's why it's not called the gifts of the Spirit. Those are called the fruit of the Spirit, and fruit is grown. It's tended to. In order to grow a tree, you have to really make sure that you, you take care of the weeds that are around it. You have to make sure you water it. You have to make sure it's in the right climate. You have to make sure that all the things that are proper for it to grow and to have a good, nutritious um, uh, harvest happens. And that fruit doesn't come even as the tree gets, gets all the way grown. Sometimes that fruit doesn't show up. There's some trees that it actually doesn't show up until many years later. And then it pops out, and then it's all of a sudden a huge harvest of different things. But because you've cultivated that process of living a life that's righteous, pure, and just, you've tended that tree. So the war against the flesh and the spirit has to be something that we tend to consistently. It's something we have to practice. It's something we have to, we have to go to multiple, multiple times. I'll give you one last example. Um, I've been, I've read uh, kind of off and on uh, over the past year or so. I've been reading about, um, I, I love, I just love the book of First and Second Samuel. I love those two books. So fun to read through. The life of David and life of Samuel and all the things that kind of came through their lives. But um, in Second Samuel, about 14, 15, there's this, uh, there's this character, one of the sons of, of David, Absalom. And this man, he became very furious with his, uh, with his brother for, for an action that he had against his sister. And so he plotted the whole time to kill him, end up killing his brother. In the process of killing his brother, he ran away. And then when he came back home, he tried to usurp the kingdom from David. He tried to step in and try to steal everything. What he did was he would go down every single morning. He would ride his horse and chariot down to the front gates. And as people would come, he would ask them where they were from. And as they told him, he said, oh, well, the grievance that you have, it cannot be met by the king's court. They just don't have the time for you or the resources. But if I was king, I would be able to tend for your needs. I would be able to tend to the things that you would struggle with um, because that's how great of a man that I am. 
And he would do this day after day after day after day after day after day. He did this for years. To where sooner or later, he ended up gaining favor of much of the nation and tried to take the entire kingdom away from David. David had to flee again. He had to flee from Saul in his younger years, and now he's fleeing from his own son in his, in his later years. And this pride that he had to try to usurp the kingdom and try to, to push away every single thing and try to steal stuff um, was something that ended up meeting his demise. When in actuality, usually the, the, the oldest of the sons would come up and they would be the next in line for, to become king. And so he was next in line. They, they also said that he was a very tall, very handsome man. He had no, the Bible said he had no blemish from top to bottom. He was just, and he had huge long hair, really flowing thick. I mean, it was incredible. So that he was a great looking man. So he had all the, all like the knockouts of all the things that you would think of in someone who would be royalty. But he decided that he was going to take matters into his own hands and try to fly into this position that he should not have been in yet. If he would have waited, he could have gotten the kingdom. It would have been great. And he would have done well hopefully. But he took the advice of, of a gnarly cousin of his um, or, or of, of some of his some of his counsel and, uh, and tried to usurp the kingdom. Later on he ended up dying. Got his hair got caught in the tree. It was hanging around by the tree and got gutted. But the reason why I bring up this story is because um, there are a lot of times where we try to take matters into our own hand and we take advice from different people who are not the Holy Spirit or who are not led by the Holy Spirit. And uh, and that only goes so far. You can listen to people who, who are not guided by the Holy Spirit, and that's great. That's wonderful. But you also need to be able to have people who are led by the Holy Spirit who can also give you guidance as well. And then you have to weigh for yourself what the, what the actions that you need to take is. In Absalom's case, he was so blinded by his pride and his desire for a seated position that he did not love his family. He did not love the people in his nation well enough to be patient because love is patient love is kind love is long suffering love bears all things, believes all things hopes all things, endures all things love never fails and so if you truly do love other people, if you truly do love the Lord, then you're going to be patient in the times where even you feel like you're vindicated in doing something you're going to be kind to those who you're around even when it's difficult, because it can be difficult to be kind with people who are, who are frustrating to you. It's hard to be long-suffering whenever you, whenever you feel like you just want to go ahead and jump the gun and go ahead and do it. But in reality, sometimes you're just, you're not in that place yet. Sometimes you're not ready. Sometimes you are, and the Lord will, will make a way. We need to have faith in the Lord, not be double-minded. Not just go off what I feel just because I feel like I need it. But really consult the Holy Spirit. Look at what, what are the instruments saying? I feel like I'm right side up, but you know what? These instruments right here are saying I'm kind of upside down right now. <laughs> I'm going really fast, and this is not going to be a good thing. Maybe I feel if I take a left here, but everything in the word right here, it doesn't line up with the character or the nature of this decision I'm getting ready to make. What do I really need to do? Those are going to be things that really assist us as we, as we go throughout the rest of our days. So I want to leave you with this. How are you flying blind? How have you been flying blind? I challenge you to, to, to wake up in the morning and to consult the Holy Spirit. 
Doesn't have to be really weird. Doesn't have to be odd. Just the morning Holy Spirit. I think uh, Benny Hinn has a book, right? Good morning Holy Spirit. Yeah. Um, good morning Holy Spirit. Just practice recognizing His presence in your life every day. Again, it doesn't have to be weird. It doesn't have to be gnarly. Just recognize Him being there. The more you recognize Him being there, the more that you'll be a- accustomed to listening to Him when He's there. Let's stand. Father, thank you so much for this great opportunity to come together and to, to read your word. Thank you that you have so many great, great passages that can really speak to our hearts. Thank you for your grace. Father, thank you for your mercy. Thank you that you are loving and that you're kind and that you extend your mercies just over and over again. Thank you, Lord, that you never give up on us. Thank you that you're always there for us. Thank you that your love exceeds any of the past sins that we have done or any of the current ones that we could be involved in. So I just thank you, Father, for your, um, uh, for your deliverance. I thank you so much that you are, are compassionate towards us. I thank you for your healing. I thank you for your restoration. I thank you for the gift of salvation, Father, that, that, that it's not easily lost for us, that, that it's not something you, that's just I could pick up and put down, uh, that, that your salvation extends and exceeds past uh, even the, the complexities of what men would choose to offer one another. So thank you that your grace is greater. Thank you so much that, that, you, uh, that, you, that you have so much love for us, that you would choose to be patient with us in this process of, of trying to fly blind, in this process of, of walking through life, relying upon you. So I pray, Father, that as we go throughout the rest of this week, as we continue on throughout uh, today, Lord, that, that we'll just continuously look back and, and we'll, we'll consult you and that we'll realize that you're there with us every day and that we won't just... Uh, recognize or realize your presence when we walk into church but father that as we wake up we can recognize your presence as it's there as we as we walk throughout our work day that we can recognize that your presence is there with us as we talk with our family members we know that your presence is there as we speak with our friends that your presence is there that as we go to, uh, to lay our bed our head down at bed at night that we know that your presence is there that you've never left us you don't forsake us you don't push us away and you're not fearful of decisions that we make but you're there in the thick and the thin of it with us all so we love you, we praise you, and we thank you, and we glorify your name. In Jesus' name I pray, and everybody said, amen. Have a wonderful day today. Go have lunch with someone, hang out. Love you guys.